Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring starship sofa and far-fetched fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. I wrapped up reading Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation recently. That's the first book of the Southern Reach trilogy. This book won the Nebula Award and is a great example of a time I'm puzzled as to a book's popularity. Now, hey, just before someone thinks I'm about to disrespect Vandermeer's accomplishments, let me make sure I'm framing things correctly. Have you ever had a pizza with anchovies? If you're not sure, the answer is no. Either you discovered how wonderfully delicious those salty little fish are, or you discovered how incredibly gross they are. Either way, you'll remember that flavor. It's polarizing. With both Annihilation and Anchovies, I'm in the minority. I like those fish and didn't really care for Annihilation. If you take a trip to the book's Goodreads page and check out those comments, you'll find that polarization. People who have commented on it as a life-changing read, as an homage to style to H.P. Lovecraft, and people like me who didn't get it. So, did I get behind the microphone to tell my podcast audience that I didn't care for a book that if they read, statistically, probably liked? Sort of, but here is a contradictory side of things. I'd love to have that book for our podcast. I'll back up a bit. If you had that story as an audiobook, I think that I'd have enjoyed it much better. In fact, as I'm reading it, I had several times that I heard the first-person narrative in Nicole Doolin's voice. I think she'd be perfect for it. There are some stories that just work better in one format or another. I've told you about the vast amount of work that Scott, Drew, and Seth have done with the tons of stories we received in our last submission period. 
There are a few ambiguous qualifiers that we look for in a story, and Annihilation absolutely nails the one that has to be satisfied before any of the other considerations even come into play. And that is, is this going to work well as a narrated story? First-person narratives that are light on dialogue and other speaking characters are perfect for audio narration. So if you have any interest in the story, Audible has a narration of it by Carolyn McCormick that I'd probably steer you towards. And if you're one of the people that loved the story and happened to read it and hear that narration, I wouldn't mind hearing from you at talestoterrify at gmail.com to let me know if it's actually better one way or the other. But enough about how podcasts are made. Let's actually hear one. <laughs> First up will be a bit of a particularly short fiction from Carlo Jaeger. He is originally from the enchanted island of Puerto Rico, but now lives in Baltimore. He does not miss living in a tropical paradise, just don't ask him any time between November and February. You can follow his sporadic witticisms on Twitter at KJY1066 and on his blog, alineofink.com. Links to both will be in the show notes. This story originally appeared in Unlikely Story Anthology's Clowns, The Unlikely Colorophobia Remix, 2016. Now, Carlo... Jaeger Rodriguez's clown car, driven once, never emptied. The fucking salesman promised the car was clean. Dan's knuckles creaked as he clutched his steering wheel like salvation, eyes on shifting traffic on the rain-soaked highway. They were all around him furtive movements in the hidden spaces of the car, the rustle as they moved under the back seat, the stifled titters echoing from inside the glove box, the squeak of red plastic noses crushed against each other. The car was still full of them. Dan didn't dare look away from the lane ahead, squinting past the steady swish of the wipers to the snarl of fast-moving cars on the expressway. No sirens? No flashing lights in the rear view? Good. Back at the dealership, the salesman had oozed up to Dan, who stared at the jaundiced yellow VW bug. "'I can see you're a collector,' he'd crooned, and nodded at the horrid little lump of a car contained by the circle of velvet ropes. Like one of those magic circles, Dan had thought. "'It's from that show!' Dan had gulped. "'Uncle Hasty's?' Sure, the salesman nodded, and his smile grew stale as his eyes flicked between the bug and Dan. A good price, too, Dan nodded, and looked back across the street where the police cars, blue and red lights, flashed like a ballyhoo over the arch, the arcade, the big top. He needed to make a getaway. Aversion therapy, Dan had shuddered at the thought. On the highway, a shadow fell over the car. An eighteen-wheeler breached the waters of the downpour and loomed over him like a wall. Dan slammed on the brakes, palm crushed against the horn. He panted, legs trembling, and jerked his hand off the horn. Its bleeding trailed off into nothing like a deflating balloon. Faded letters framed a big top on the truck's container doors. Dan wiped at the fogged glass to peer through the rain. A smiling clown loomed over the cartoon tent like a bloated, hungry moon. 
Dan hurled himself backwards with a cry. He covered his face with his arms, lifted his feet off the pedals. The car lurched, shuddered, and drifted, motor dead. The rustling became louder. "'You're not listening,' his little girl had said, raising her voice over the laughter of the crowd around them. Dan couldn't believe Emily liked the circus, but there he was, watching a clown car loop around one of the three rings. "'Hm?' Dan tilted one ear towards her. "'What's that, Em?' His eyes followed the clown car, zipping over the packed dirt, wary as someone watching a large spider scurry across the floor. "'What's going on between you and Mom?' Emily craned her head to look over his shoulder to where her mother had gone to find the restrooms. Dan glanced at the clown car as its doors popped open. "'We, I—that is,' Dan stammered, "'I need to go away.' "'Why?' Emily's face scrunched up. "'For how long?' Dan shook his head. "'What he could say?' The clowns tumbled out of the car, mugging for the crowds. The ring will hold them. They can't cross. The ring will hold them. The glove box popped open with a giggle. Coasting behind the semi, Dan leaned across, eyes squeezed shut. He slapped the glove box closed with a whimper. He snapped his eyes open as he heard the back seat thud into place. His gaze darted to the rearview mirror. Was the tip of an oversized red shoe sticking out like a tongue between black vinyl lips. The giggles grew into crazed shrieks before Dan remembered what could happen if the car stopped without a circle to contain them. He turned the key and pumped the gas pedal until the engine chirruped to life. He jammed the car into gear and turned to accelerate past the 18-wheeler. The sounds, the movement, stopped. He flipped the painted clown face, the finger as he moved past, caught in the flow of traffic again. Why? Em repeated. Why? Dan had wanted to explain how, after he'd been abandoned as a kid, it chipped away at him. How his wife could no longer love his brokenness. I don't know, honey, he said, and squeezed her hand. He'd read the reports about the day his mama disappeared. She had left him strapped in his high chair in front of the TV. The awful clown in yellow show playing. The neighbors found him, hours later in a soiled diaper, shrieking and pointing at the TV. None of reports explained what he saw. His mama transformed into a cartoon clown on TV. The clown in yellow, turning and smiling at Dan through the screen. What could he have told Em? He was cursed? Haunted by clowns? He had opened his mouth, teetered on the edge of confession, when he had felt a hand on his shoulder, a white-gloved hand. He whirled with a shriek and pounded his fists into the chalk-white face again and again, until panting, he'd found teeth embedded in his grease-paint and blood-covered knuckles. Dan felt his blood drain as he looked at the mime sprawled at his feet, at the row of clowns lined along the edge of the ring, looking at him and smiling. He had shrunk before his wife and M's open-mouthed horror 
and fled. He popped the clutch and felt a gloved hand brush his ankle. His throat clenched around a shriek. There was a clown hidden under his seat. A shiver crawled up his leg and up his back grew into a shudder. The minute he stopped, unbound, they would tumble out of their hidey holes in the car and out into the world in wave after wave. He couldn't inflict this horror on the rest of the world. Dan revved the motor. The world would not fall under an endless stream of painted, leering faces and oceans of seltzer water. The low titters of the hidden clowns sounded quizzical as he drifted across three lanes of traffic. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. That was Carlo Jaeger Rodriguez's clown car, driven once, never emptied, as read by Dan Gerzinski. Dan lives in Tully, New York, near Syracuse, and earns his living bending the unseen forces of nature to his will as a broadcast engineer. He's been a recording engineer, electronics technician, repairer of broken things, and regularly reads for LibriVox.org. Next up, from Allison Mulder. She grew up in an assorted small Midwestern towns and credits the Internet with nurturing her nerdiness. She writes fantasy, science fiction, and often by accident, horror. 
She terrifies several neighbors when her first pro sale, this creepy tooth fairy story, was published in Crossed Genres magazine. Allison also has fiction forthcoming at Intergalactic Medicine Show and Escape Pod. With patience, sensitive equipment, and a fully stocked backpack of granola bars, you can sometimes glimpse her at alisonmolder.wordpress.com or track her far more easily on Twitter at a Mulder writes, where she broadcasts any significant life happenings, gushes over her current fictional obsessions, and uses far too many X-File GIFs. Link to both will be in the show notes. The story you're about to hear was originally published in Crossed Genres magazine, issue 35, November 1st, 2015. And now, children of the night, sit back and listen with me to Alison Mulder's Decay. slipped over the sill of the open window, his toes clicking on the hardwood floor before he quickly stepped to the carpet. He crept through many windows, but this one was new to him. A new house, a new room, though it looked like many others. Glowing plastic stars were stuck to the ceiling, and toys were strewn across the floor too densely to walk around without care. He chose not to take the trouble. His feet hovered a few inches above the stuffed animals and toy train tracks as he drifted toward the bed on the right side of the room. In the bed, a lump under the Buzz Lightyear covers swelled and diminished. A patch of brown hair was visible at the very edge of the sheets, on the very corner of the pillow. A good sign. Many lumps tended to make the space under their pillow as accessible as they could but the most promising ones were always lolling half off the bed with their necks twisted at odd angles, as if to get as far as possible from the thing that had come out of their mouth. The tooth fairy stood above the bed, watching the lump rise and fall, then slipped his hand under the pillow and coaxed the tooth from its resting place. He held it up to the faint light of the green spaceship nightlight, but that wasn't the real test. Not every tooth was a seed tooth. Not one in a thousand. Maybe one in a million. But when he found one, it was easy enough to know it for what it was. He pulled the covers back from the lump's face and cradled the tooth in his palm. He brought his hand closer and closer to the mouth, gaped with sleep, and held it there. So close, the moisture in the child's breath fogged on the tooth fairy's skin. The tooth turned like a magnet toward its twin and gave the slightest twitch toward the parted lips. The tooth fairy clapped his hand over the seed tooth, the lump never stirred, and knelt on the toy-littered floor. He moved the seed tooth two and a half feet down from its former resting place to the floor beneath the bed frame. He adjusted its position, thought, then wedged it upright between a slim crack in the flooring. Then he opened his own mouth and removed one of the gleaming quarters he kept on his tongue, wiping it off on the bedspread, though there was no need. The metal was dry, 
The quarters came from other houses, the ones where parents made the switch before he got there, robbing him of potential seed teeth. He stole the coins and left them at other houses because it encouraged the legend to continue. It kept teeth from going into the trash before he'd had a chance to look at them. It kept kids opening their windows, even if he didn't really need them to. He jabbed the quarter beneath the pillow, and the lump's head lolled further on its side. Its teeth glinted in the nightlight's gleam, and the tooth fairy's finger drifted forward to draw the jaw down and touch a likely canine. Sometimes, more than one seed came from the same mouth, and that was always grand. They grew so fast, building off each other, strengthening hour by hour. It would be so much faster to pluck out all the teeth on one trip. But no, the stories would die too quickly. The teeth would go in the trash. Kneeling again, he moved the quarters in his cheek with the ease of habit and whispered to the seed tooth. Just a few words. Then he left by the window, closed it behind him, and drifted down to the front yard. The next house on his nightly rounds was fifty miles away. If he'd taken the sheltered and shadowed routes, he could have been there in ten minutes. Instead, he walked like a man through the city streets, past late-night walkers and staggering drunks, past those who didn't know or care, when most people should have been asleep. Tonight, he would walk, at least part of the way. It was probably the last time he'd walk like this, and he wanted a reminder of what it felt like. Also, his mood was too good. He needed to prepare for the end of the night, and he couldn't do that while being pleased about the new seed tooth. He'd been pushing the anger down for so long, a forgettable ache, but that wouldn't do tonight. He had to remember. It was almost time. The Tooth Fairy walked through the busiest part of the crowd, and people only glanced at him when their shoulders brushed his own, when their jackets rustled and their buttons scraped against his smooth skin. They'd look in his direction for a moment, then continue on their way. Sometimes they turned and walked away from him in a perfectly straight line, taking long steps out of their way, before veering back toward their original intentions. Every averted glance was a drill through his core, a spark igniting his temper, and he embraced the anger that flooded through him. It wasn't that they couldn't see him. It wasn't that he blended in. He wore nothing. He carried no tools. The only thing he brought on his rounds were the quarters, and those were held in his mouth, on his tongue. The metal bitter in the back of his throat meant only for speech, not for swallowing. His bare feet on the sidewalk were loud as a dog's nails on linoleum and gashed the concrete with scratches that closed up again, one by one, behind him. Even the physical world did not acknowledge him enough to be marked by him. He was in the crowd's midst, and he did not belong, and they rejected him the way the body rejects water in the lungs, reflexively, without a conscious thought. 
The anger built and ate away at him with each averted gaze, and he let it, clenching his jaws around the coins in his mouth, so that sounds like grinding stones filled the air. Once, his hand strayed forward, just as it had to touch the lump's tooth, and it grabbed the front of a man's coat. The man blinked rapidly, raising an arm as if to fight a strong wind, though the gale affected no one around him. The tooth fairy relaxed his grip, and the man backed up to get away from him. But their eyes never met. The man never looked straight at him. The man hadn't seen how close a hard, hooked finger had come to the veins in his neck. That was the only way to leave a lasting mark, to spill all the life from them at once, so fast and so sudden that they pumped the blood from their veins before the wound had time to close. There was no coming back from a killing, no matter how strongly the world rejected his actions. It would be so, so easy now. Hey! As usual, it took a moment to process when someone was speaking to him. He turned to find one of his kind perched at the base of a fountain, water streaming down his shoulders, the disturbance in the water flow going unnoticed, as their kind always went unnoticed. He didn't look familiar, but that meant nothing. Roots only crossed each other occasionally, often by accident. Only once had the Tooth Fairy been in a large group of them. The memory wasn't unpleasant, but the results had been chaotic, disorganized, less efficient. I nearly thought you were going to do it, the other Tooth Fairy said, rising. Water slipped off him more quickly than it would off most things and he left no damp footprints as he walked up. It's almost your time, isn't it? Not yet, the Tooth Fairy reminded himself. Soon, he said aloud. Tonight. The other nodded. You have successors yet, to take the route? He looked young, like he'd only just taken over for his predecessor. One. Or he would have one by the end of the night. What brings you here? The other one uncurled his fist to reveal seven gleaming teeth, still and plain, one silvered with fillings. Duds. Triplets on a farm. Lots of teeth to check, but disposing of them. He turned and absent-mindedly tossed the teeth into the crowd easily, as if he were tossing bread to pigeons. It's more fun with lots of people around. They watched with faint smirks as a woman paused on the sidewalk, digging around in her scarf, and then holding something up to a streetlight. She shrieked and threw the human tooth away from her, clawing her scarf free to check for more. The process repeated itself several times in mere moments. They acknowledged that, at least. I'm leaving, the other one said when the stirrings had stopped. He glanced at the older tooth fairy one last time before melting into the shadow ways. The last thing left behind was his voice. 
don't build up the anger too soon. That's right. He'd gotten carried away, thinking of blood already. The night was early yet. There was plenty left to do. The secret ways brought him to the next house moments later, and the familiar exterior calmed him. The interior was even more familiar. The same books on the same shelves, and the same butterfly border on the wall, even though the girl in the room was almost too old for them now. The girl herself sprawled on top of the sheets, one leg hanging off the bed, completely mindless of the thing she'd put under her pillow years and years ago. She was a lump, too, but a lump that didn't realize it was missing something, a lump that lived like it was more than a lump. The tooth fairy knelt by the side of the bed and put his head to the floor, observing the garden of teeth that sprawled across the carpet, mere inches from the girl's foot, not that she would have been able to see it. Not ready yet, but growing well. The heaps of teeth swelled as he watched, leaning from side to side like teetering stalagmites, unstable where they sprouted from decay-ridden bases. Canyons of rot laced the main body of the teeth, teeth on teeth, growing like a cancer, growing off the tops, the sides, crowding in from below, some of them already pricked the bottom of the mattress. But it wasn't ready yet. He leaned close and whispered heated things under his breath, things too quiet and repulsive for the child above to hear, over and over and over again. The following house on his route provided a complication, but not an unexpected one. The family's move had taken place as anticipated, and all that remained in the house was a stained, worn carpet and the tooth-bed, exposed but unseen by the house's former occupants. It quivered in the open air and in the absence of its original source. But luckily the growth had stabilized, as predicted. Every molar had morphed, ending in an incisor. It was a bed of needles, a strip of sea urchin-like spines. The spaces between each tooth had nearly vanished, and smooth white enamel hid the rot beneath. Hollow decay lay just beneath the surface, and the lack of anything at each point's core made it easy enough to snap sections apart at the base and gather them up in his arms. With his mind on the sunrise, the tooth fairy quickly moved across the country reaching the family's new house before they did. Some of their boxes had been sent ahead, and he quickly found a room where the ones labeled Brian were clustered. Sitting down in front of the closet, the tooth fairy stacked the pieces in his arms back together like a puzzle, whispering all the while. By the time he left, the section had nearly grown together again the spaces filling like they'd never been there, but that hollow space always remaining within. The sprout would be there waiting when Brian moved in, 
though he wouldn't see it. Even as he filled the closet with the preteen's possessions, at least he would never notice it. Finally, the Tooth Fairy reached the last house on his route, though there were two tasks left. By a fortune of chance, the first task slept down the hall from the second. The front yard looked just as it had for years. Even Mitzi's grave was still there, marked by a thorny rose bush that hadn't yet managed to die. For nostalgia's sake, he went through the front door, and that nostalgia burned through his limbs as he walked down the hallways, past pictures that had always hung on the walls, past scratches and gashes on the floor that he remembered making. Not the temporary scratches his body now left, but scratches and scuff marks from roller skating indoors as Mom yelled at him to go outside and cried when he wouldn't listen to her. He paused by the heating vent in the hallway and remembered pressing his fingers against the warm metal during the winter, his warmest option after they'd taken all the matches away from him. All he felt now when he traced his fingers along the vent was the spine-tingling edge of metal against something just as unyielding. He pushed too hard and left a long, pale scratch on the old metal. The line began to vanish, even as he watched. Not yet. He rose, curling his fingers into a fist, and continued down the hallway. He walked into the first bedroom and strode to the closet, ignoring the grown lump in the bed and the college propaganda strewn across the floor. The closet door opened from the inside the moment his hand touched the knob. His successor stepped out of the closet, her white skin gleaming under the string of lights that framed the lump's mirror. She was the first of his charges he'd seen grow to maturity, just in time, when most tooth fairies had two or three successors by the time their night came. The thing called a tooth fairy tilted his head slightly as he took in her enamel-white skin and the way her hair didn't drift around her face the way you'd expect. Too solid for that. Other than those features, she matched the lump in the bed exactly, down to the shape of the mouth, though his successor's lips were white, of course, instead of pink. He began to speak, but his successor's white eyes had followed his to the lump in the bed. Before he could react, she threw herself at the bed frame, face twisted in rage. He grabbed for her shoulder but missed, and then his successor was on top of her source, clawing at her mouth, her face, her hair, and the girl in bed was waking up with a scream. Or she would have screamed if the successor's knee wasn't pressed against her throat. The silencing was non-intentional. Just an accidental blessing fueled by anger. The Tooth Fairy watched, furious, and waited until his successor jabbed her fingers into her source's mouth and a bright flash of light filled the room. The successor was thrown backward, slamming into the opposite wall with a crack, even as her source slumped, exhausted and unconscious for the moment. Like all the others who'd faced premature attacks, the lump would consider it a nightmare. 
the scratches would be hard to explain. But it was astounding what levels of injury people would take credit for themselves, as long as it happened during sleep. And the scratches were almost always nearly gone by morning. He crossed the room to where his successor was rising unsteadily. Her arm had nearly cracked off at the shoulder, and the hollowness beneath the skin was visible, empty, black. He grabbed her by the other arm and hauled her to her feet. Not yet, he said. You know you're not strong enough yet. Not powerful enough. The anger needs to grow first, and you have a job to do. There's an order to things. You need to keep the others alive and keep them growing. Keep them angry. But she needs me, his successor said, eyes wild, gaze flicking back to the lump in the bed. If they were born with us, they must need us. They can't just throw us away. If she were a different kind of being, she would have been crying. The tooth fairy said nothing. That kind of thing was a part of maturing, too. She'd grow beyond it, farther than it, if she didn't grow out of the idea completely. She'd spent her days in the dark. She hadn't walked the world yet. She hadn't yet felt the frustration of acting on the world but never, ever marking it. He'd scarred the world once. He deserved to have that right again. To mark the world instead of just slipping through its shadows. They'd been robbed of that chance but they'd rob it back, one by one, all the cast-off pieces that had been dropped like seeds. The anger was surging again, nearly overpowering. He put a hand on his successor's shoulder, focusing on this, his second-to-last task. It's time, he said. And he told the successor the words, the whispers. She threw you away. She doesn't want you to be part of her. She cast you off, sold you away. But soon, soon you can take revenge. Soon, soon you can take her and cast off the parts of her that you detest. Soon you can walk among the others and be seen and noticed and you can hurt them. Soon, but not yet. Once you grow. He repeated the words until his successor could repeat them back to him. And then he did the same with the roots, with the secret ways, with the ways to find the other tooth fairies. We'll cast off all of them some day, he said. Soon, but not until there are more of us. She nodded though her gaze flicked back toward the lump in the bed. When he took the quarters from his mouth, she accepted them, slipping them between her own lips. He sent her off to learn the route, to continue the work. Then he walked down the hall to the master bedroom and went to the side of the bed where a man lay sleeping, his mouth hanging open just slightly. The thing they all called a tooth fairy had a name. The same name that belonged to the lump sprawled on the side of the bed. Nathan Daniels. He had Nathan's face, his frame, 
his tendency to squint. They even had the same memories of Nathan Daniel's first years of life, of learning to ride a bike and of going to kindergarten and of not quite accidentally killing Mitzi and of feeling the heat from a match on his palms until the time he, they, Nathan, was caught, the searing warmth on his skin. But those few things they shared were the only things they shared. The Tooth Fairy did not have Nathan Daniel's skin. He did not have a daughter. He did not have a life. The Nathan Daniels in the bed had everything else. Everything. Everything but the part of himself that had left his mouth years and years ago seeped into a tooth that would rot and decay in the dark. The anger built, higher and higher, eating away at his insides, burning to nothing what it had once helped grow. But the tooth fairy didn't make a single move toward the man. Not yet. He burned from the inside out, staring down at the man who looked like him, or the man he looked like, and staring at the glint of the tooth that had replaced the seed tooth. It was an ugly tooth, crooked, full of fillings. But that part of himself Nathan had kept. All the other things Nathan had kept. Nathan kept everything, and he lived even after throwing away a whole piece of himself. The successor was right. They must have been needed. He waited until his skin had burned to be thin as frost. Thinner. And he waited until the decayed pit inside of him was almost all he was. Rot and anger, and always, always that seed that Nathan had rejected in the first place so long ago. The seed of something he hadn't wanted to be. He waited until the sun shone through the windows, shone through his body without casting a shadow. And he waited until one minute before the man's alarm was to go off. Then the thing called the Tooth Fairy reached forward, and touched the pointed tip of his finger to the point of the man's tooth. Leaving nothing behind, the empty rot rushed into the man. Nathan jerked once, banged his skull on the headboard, but then lay still until the alarm broke the morning, blaring over and over again as his wife let out a groan and shoved his leg. Nathan turned off the alarm. He got out of bed feeling like death, but no more irritable than usual. He had never been a morning person. He was the same as he'd always been. He hadn't changed into a monster. He hadn't lost control to a forgotten wilderness. He didn't feel a new hollowness in his head and bones and heart. Not yet. Not yet. But soon. That was Allison Mulder's Decay, as read by Drew Sebastini. Writer and designer, editor and inventor, brewer and narrator, Drew's been called a lot of things in his career, some nicer than others. 
By day, he spins stories with words and pictures as an advertising copywriter and creative director. But by the light of the moon, he can be found weaving tales for sound and screen and alchemizing bubbly brews with hops and barley. He lives in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, with his wife, son, and a menagerie of small creatures. Discover more about Drew at www.idrewthis.ca. Link will be in the show notes. And he is also, of course, Tales of Terrifies associate editor. Thank you, Drew. That will be our show for the evening, children of the night. Don't forget to visit our Patreon page in the links below, and also like us on iTunes or Acast or wherever you found our podcast. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk and associate editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini, and theme music by Diane Severson. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.